0: If you would now, turn with me to Psalm 8. Psalm 8. I've titled the message this morning, Why Would God Think on Man? This is the question that David asked in verse 4 of Psalm 8. What is man that thou art mindful of him, and the son of man that thou visitest him? Now, David is asking this question in amazement. What is man that you would be mindful of him? Why would God be mindful of me at all? David's just amazed that God whom the heavens cannot contain would bother to ever think on man. Now, in order to understand why it is David is so amazed, yeah, I think we have to see three things. Number one, we have to see who God is. Number two, we have to see who man is. And number three, we have to see the result. What results from God thinking on man? Well, if we're going to understand this question, David's amazement at it, we've got to have some understanding of who God is. God is the creator. He created everything that is just by speaking. He created it, and everything gets its being and its existence from God. God is self-existent. God doesn't need anyone else or anything else to keep living. He's self-existent. God is holy. He can't look on sin. He cannot sin. Everything God does is holy and sinless. God is just. He cannot do wrong. Everything he does is right. God is wise. He cannot make a mistake. It's impossible for him to make a mistake. (laughs) God is all-powerful. He always does his will. None can stay his hand or say to him, what doest thou? He always does his will. There's never even a bump in the road in his will. God is omniscient. That's a great big fancy word that just means God's everywhere at once. He's everywhere at once. I mean, you think of that. He's everywhere at once. God is eternal. He doesn't have a beginning. And he doesn't have an ending. God is immutable. That's another great big word, isn't it? Immutable. Just means God never changes. And why would he change? He's perfect, isn't he? And God is good. Everything God does is good. We don't understand it oftentimes, but everything God does is good. It has to be because God can't do evil. He can't do something bad. It's not in his nature. His nature is he's good. God is love. It's not just that God loves. God is love. His character is love. God can't do anything hateful. God is merciful. He's gracious to those who sin against him. God is forgiving of the wrongs that have been done to him. God has been nothing but good to man. God's eternal. Man's just existed about 6,000 years. and all that time, God's been nothing but good to man. In the whole solar system, God made one planet, one that's habitable, a place for man to live. God gives life to men and he sustains that life. He gives us air to breathe, water to drink, food to eat. And God made man Brilliant. I know man, we'll get to man in just a minute. Man is spiritually dead, spiritually blind. But boy, in worldly things, man is brilliant. God made man to be brilliant in the arts, in math, in the sciences, so that man can invent things to help mankind, to make life better. The the Just all the things that, that men do, the, the science and the medicines that, that men create, the art that they create, just... For nothing but beauty, just to look at, you know. God, he created man brilliant. And God is so high above man. It's really indescribable. But scripture tells us something, gives us a mighty good clue. God has to humble himself to look on things in heaven. You think how high heaven is above us. How much better it is how much more glorious! God has to humble himself to look on things in heaven well how much does he have to humble himself to look on us to think on the likes of us God doesn't need anything from man he doesn't need anything from anybody it's a good thing too God doesn't need anything from man in it because we don't have anything to contribute we can't do anything for God so it's a good thing he doesn't need anything from us Basically, from what I see about who God is, man is just a drain on God's resources. Yet God thinks on men. Well, that's who God is. Now, second, if we're going to be as amazed at this question as we should be, why would God think on man? We have to understand something about who man is. And I know I'm talking about who man is, what the nature of man is. But let's remember this is who we are, this is us. Now this is just everybody out there. This is us. This is who we are. Man is everything God is not. When Jonathan read to us there from from Romans three, that description of man—that's us. Now that describes our nature. You go back and read it this afternoon, but just don't don't just say say man. This is this is who I am. That describes us. That describes our nature. God's the creator. Man is just a creature, and we're a fallen one at that. God is self-existent, but man can only exist unless God gives us life and supports it. I mean, we God is self-existent, and there's nothing more dependent in God's creation than human beings. God is holy, and he cannot sin. Man is sinful and cannot do anything but sin. We cannot ever do anything holy or righteous. God is just. He can't do wrong. Man is unjust and can't find it in ourselves to do anything right. Just everything we do is wrong. God is all wise so that he cannot make a mistake. Man is spiritually ignorant so we can't do anything right. Everything we do spiritually, everything everything we want to do spiritually, everything we think spiritually by nature, is it's all a mistake. It's all wrong. God is all powerful. God always does His will. Man has no power to do anything unless God allows it. If you want that proved to you, just make a plan for something this week and see what happens to it. God is omniscient. He's everywhere at once. Man is just in one place and we're hardly there. Most of the time our mind wanders and oh my goodness, we're a mess. God's eternal. He doesn't have a beginning or an ending. And man is so finite. We're here for such a short time. Scripture calls our life a vapor. God never changes. Man changes every time the wind blows. And we never change for good, do we? God is good. There's none good but God. Everything he does is good. And man is evil. Everything we do in the sight of God is evil. There's none that doeth good. No, not one. In case you're thinking, well, there's none good but me. No, not one. No, not one. God is love. Man is hate. Man is hateful about everything all the time. That's never been more true in the history of the world, I think, than it is today. Man is hateful, just hateful about everything. God created man in his own image. And man quickly fell and died spiritually in open rebellion against God. Adam sinned in open rebellion against God. Eve was deceived. Adam went deceived. He went that thing with his eyes wide open. Open rebellion against God. And, God. and Adam did that after God had never done anything but good for Adam. I mean, you think about Adam. God gave Adam everything the heart could wish for. God gave Adam a perfect garden to live in. God created all those fruit trees. Can you imagine what them oranges tasted like? When I was a boy, we'd go visit my grandmother down in Florida, and she had these tangelo trees, three tangelo trees in her yard. Man, I'd climb up there and sit in them trees, and I'd eat those tangelos till I had sores all around my mouth, you know, just... Oh, those were so good. Can you imagine what the oranges in God's garden tasted like? And God told Adam, eat of all those trees you want freely except for that woman. God made a wife for Adam. God formed her with his fingers from Adam's ribs. Now you know that woman was wise. She was beautiful. This almighty God made her for Adam. God gave Adam dominion over all of God's creation. Adam, it's all yours. You have dominion over it all. Adam had nothing to worry about and Adam had nothing to fear. Yet first chance he got, Adam declared war on God. Took that fruit and ate it that God told him not to eat thereof. And when Adam did that, Adam and everybody who would ever descend from Adam's loins died. They spiritually died. They became what I just said a little bit ago. This is what man is. We, we don't have any wisdom. We don't have any power. We, we're, we're so finite. We can't do anything good. We can't do anything holy. We can't think anything holy or righteous. All that happened. All that is what our nature became when Adam fell. That's the only nature Adam had to pass on to us. The whole human race died when Adam sinned. The whole human race became sinners when Adam sinned against God. That's why when God looked down from heaven, he saw the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. You know why that was? Why why did God see that? Because that's our nature. That's what happened when Adam died. And that was true before the flood of Noah. And it's just as true today. That's our nature. All right, that's the situation. That's who God is. Oh, he's so high and lifted up. Human language can't lift him up high enough. And that's how low man is. Human language can't put man low enough. Now you just think of God's creation. Everything that there is in God's creation. You know, we know some things about our solar system. They tell me there are many solar systems. All the... The vastness, we have no idea how vast God's creation is. And man, is just a speck of dust in that thing. I mean, you think how small and insignificant we are in light of God's creation. Isn't it amazing how full of ourselves we get? (laughs) We're nothing, I mean nothing, just a microscopic blob in God's creation. You wouldn't be surprised if God just got out his feather duster and wiped us out. Just like you see dust in your living, you get your feather duster and wipe it out. Wouldn't be surprised if God did that to us at all, would you? But God hadn't done that. God hasn't done that. Because man is something special to God. God spoke all of the world into existence. Let there be light. Let the firmament appear. Let the dry land appear. The dry land be divided from the seas. Let the animals appear. Let the trees appear. Let the grass appear. But when it came time to create man, God made the man out of the dust of the earth. With his own fingers, almighty God made a man. And speak him into existence, he made him. And he breathed into him the breath of life. And he became a living soul. Man's the only thing God did that with in his whole creation. And here's the reason that God did it. God knew exactly what Adam was going to do. God knew what Adam was going to do because God ordained for him to do it. He was going to fall. And God set all this in motion for this reason. So that his son would get glory in redeeming fallen sinners out of Adam's race. Well, that brings me to my third point. What's the result of God thinking on man? I know from scripture, almighty God thought on Adam's fallen race, on mankind. God thought on man, and this is what God determined. I'm going to save a people Out of Adam's fallen race. Now he thought this. This was God's thought. This was his purpose before he created anything. God didn't have to come up with this plan after Adam fell. This was God's thought before he created anything. Adam's going to fall, and I'm going to redeem a people out of Adam's fallen race. That's what God thought. Now if you can think of anything that shows more amazing love and grace and pity for sinners than that, I'd like to hear it. Here's how God determined to save sinners. It's by his son. That's what verse five tells us. For thou hast made him a little lower than the angels, has crowned him with glory and honor. Now, if you look over Hebrews chapter two, I know beyond a shadow of a doubt that David there is talking about God's son, the Lord Jesus Christ. I know that so because the writer to the Hebrews removed all doubt and told us that's who David was talking about. Hebrews chapter two, verse five. For unto the angels hath he not put in subjection the world to come, whereof we speak. But one in a certain place, David, testified saying, what is man, that thou art mindful of him, and the son of man that thou visitest him. Thou made him a little lower than the angels. Thou crownest him with glory and honor, and did set him over the works of thy hands thou hast put all things in subjection under his feet. For in that he put all in subjection under him, he left nothing that is not put under him. But now we see not yet all things put under him, but we see Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels for the suffering of death. We see him now crowned with glory and honor, that he by the grace of God should taste death for every man. For every That word should have been interpreted son, for every son. For it became him for whom are all things and by whom are all things in bringing many sons unto glory to make the captain of their salvation perfect through suffering. For both he that sanctifieth and they who are sanctified are all of one. For which cause he is not ashamed to call them brethren. So the writer to the Hebrews tells us for sure David here is talking about the son of God. Almighty God visited men. He visited this world when the Son of God became a man. Took on him human flesh and for a little while he was made lower than the angels. For a little while. You know, the angels are more powerful, more glorious. They're a higher being than we are, aren't they? Well, for a little while, Christ was made even lower than those angels, made just like us. He was a real man. And God did that. God's son became a man so that there would be a redeemer for fallen men. God thought on men and determined to be gracious to them. God didn't do that for the angels that fell, did he? No, the angels, they don't have a redeemer because the son of God did not take on him the nature of angels. Look at uh, in chapter two there of Hebrews verse 16. For verily, he took not on him the nature of angels, but he took on him the seed of Abraham. God took on him the nature of sinful flesh, yet without sin, for this purpose, to save his people from their sin. The Son of God took on him flesh, and he became a man, so that he could be the representative of men, mankind, men and women in the flesh, so he could save them from their sin. See, when God thinks on man, I know God thinks on man. That's what the scripture says. When God thinks on man, you know what he thinks about? Two men. Two representative men. Adam, the first Adam, or the Lord Jesus Christ, the second Adam. When God thinks on man, that's who he thinks on. Those two men, those two representative men. God sees the whole human race in one of those two representative men. Now in the first Adam, God sees hell-deserving sinners because that's what their representative is. Adam sinned against God and all men did what Adam, their representative, did. So God sees everyone in Adam as a dead, hell-deserving sinner who's been thrust out of God's presence the same way Adam was thrust out of the garden. But in Christ, the second Adam, in Christ, the second representative man, god sees sinless righteous justified people all those people are sinless Now that's the way god sees them so that has to be the way they really are aren't they? they are sinless because that's what their representative made them when christ obeyed the law so did his people so they're righteous they've never sinned anyone who's in christ has never sinned because christ our representative never sinned that you cannot understand the gospel. You can't understand the gospel of God's grace. You can't understand how it is that God saves sinners and how God deals with people until you understand this matter of representation. Representation is at the very heart of the gospel. And I'm telling you, just like all the rest of the gospel, it's good news. It's good news. If someone says, I got this from from Brother Todd Nyberg, and I I like this. I wish I could say it like Todd did does, but uh, people say, "Well, that's not fair." You know, I I didn't get a chance to to obey God. I didn't get a chance to not eat the the tree, the knowledge of of good and evil. I didn't get a chance to to obey God. Todd says, "Well, how you doing now? How you doing so far? Not very good, are you?" Representation is good news. Oh, this is the good news of the gospel. If one representative man can make us unrighteous, a second representative man can make us righteous. If one representative man can make us unholy, another representative man can make us holy. If one representative man can make us dead in sin, another representative man can give us life. If one representative man can separate us from God, another representative man can bring us back to God. Oh, that's the good news. See, the representation, this is how God thinks on men. And that takes all the pressure off, doesn't it? You don't have to try to keep the law in order to make God happy with you. You know, If you try to do that, all you're going to do is make yourself miserable because you can't keep it. The burden of the law is too much. Representation takes the burden off. If Christ kept the law for you, you're righteous. If Christ shed his blood for you, justice is satisfied. It will never come looking for you. Never. See, that's why Christ came. Christ came to undo for his people everything Adam did to us. That's why Christ came. He came to restore to his people everything that Adam lost for his. See, by man came death. By another man came life. By one man came sin. By another man came righteousness. We are made sinners by the disobedience of one man who had our nature. And God's people are made righteous by the obedience of another who took on our nature too. That's, that's the gospel. And the, gospel, the the father thought on his son. He was always mindful of his son. He was so mindful of the obedience of his son that he announced for the whole world to hear, I am well pleased with my son. I'm well pleased with him. You can trust him. I'm telling you, that the father's well pleased with him, you can trust him. And the father, as he thought on his people, he was mindful of his people's need for a sacrifice for sin. Now God set his love on those people. God determined to redeem those people, to bring those people into His presence, but some's gotta be done with their sin. Holy God cannot accept us as we are. And the Father saw a need for sacrifice. So you know what He did? There's only one in all of God's creation who's a suitable sacrifice. It's God's own Son. And God sent His Son into this world to be the Savior, to be the substitute, the sacrifice for his people. He sent him into this world to become the perfect Lamb of God, to be the sinless sacrifice. And after about 33 and a half years on this earth, he'd established righteousness. As we talked about in the lesson this morning, he was tempted in all points like as we are, yet without sin. This is the perfect, spotless Lamb of God. Then the father visited his son again. And he made his son sin for his people. All we know is sin. We have no concept of the horror that that was for the Savior, the spotless Lamb of God, to be made sin for his people. And then the father visited him in justice. You know, the Lord said he's going to visit the iniquity of the fathers upon the children and upon the children's children unto the third and the fourth generation. At Calvary, the father visited his son in justice for generations of sin. And by his sacrifice, the Lord Jesus Christ Put that sin away so that it does not exist. The sacrifice of Christ was successful. He satisfied God's justice. That's how he made his people righteous. His, sin washed, his blood washed their sin away. He gave them eternal life by dying in their place. And he glorified his father. I tell you, you want to see the glory of God I Tell you the place you can see it, at Calvary. He glorified his father. He satisfied God's justice and God's mercy at the same time. Isn't that something? He satisfied God's hatred of sin and satisfied God's mercy all at the same time. Christ died, satisfied God's justice to make it right for God to be merciful and gracious to his people. And because of that, look back in our text, Psalm 8. Because the Son glorified the Father. Because he did everything that the Father gave him to do. The Father gave the Son dominion over everything. Which is only right, isn't it? That the Son had dominion over everything. David says in verse 6, Thou madest him to have dominion over the works of thy hands. Thou hast put all things under his feet. Now I don't know how many years it was from David to the Apostle Paul. But the apostle Paul wrote in Philippians chapter two, gave us the full explanation of how this was fulfilled. He's, the father's given the son a name which is above every name. That the name of Jesus, every knee should bow. Every tongue should confess. He's Lord. All that's fulfilled. Now Christ, Christ is, the, the man, the man, the Lord Jesus Christ sits on the throne of glory, ruling over everything. There is nothing that can happen in this creation. I mean, as far flung as it is, to right down to as narrow as, as you and me. Nothing can happen to us. Nothing can happen anywhere in God's creation that is against the sovereign will of Christ the Savior. Because everything's under his feet. Everything. Everything. Are you included in everything? Is what happened to you this week part of everything, then that's under Christ's feet. It's under his rule. It happened because that's his will. And God made his son to have dominion over everything. He put all flesh into his hand so that our all-powerful Savior could rule to ensure the salvation of the people he died for. Now that's what happened when God thought on man. That's the result of God thinking on me. The redemption of his people by the sacrifice of his son. That's so great. I feel foolish even trying to talk about it because you just... The grace and the pity and the love of Almighty God for a dirt clod in His creation. It's just more than the mind can ever comprehend. But I want to end like I started. Talking about our God, who God is. Our God is great. And like I said, I can't express it, but I might have something to give us a glimpse of it. Just if we could get a glimpse of His greatness. It'd be enough to humble us, wouldn't it? you know, the greatness of a person. is seen best in how kind he is to the less fortunate. You know, true greatness reaches down to help people who have less than we do and can't do anything to help us. You know, if, if, so, if you help somebody and they just, I mean, they cannot give back to you no matter what. That's That's really true greatness. True generosity is giving without truly hoping for anything in return. You know, someone who has great riches, I mean great riches, they can afford to give it all away and still not be poor. I uh, watched a show one time on the History Channel about the the men that, that built America and uh, there was two of, I remember it right, Carnegie and Rockefeller, you know, they were in this race with each other so you can make the most money. And then they got a little older and they got a race with each other so you can give it most away. I don't know how long it took for them to give away all that money. Maybe they never did, I don't know. But true wealth is seen. If you can give it all away, and still not be poor. That's our God. That's our God. As he thinks on man, thinks on just these specks of dust in his universe. God thinks on men who are his natural born enemies, who are born hating God, who never say thank you for all the things he does for men. God is so great. He's been feeding ungrateful men for 6,000 years and he's still got plenty. Our God is so great, he has been heaping material blessings on men for 6,000 years. Yet he's still rich. I don't care how much God gives away, he's still rich. Because his riches are infinite. But the greatest display of God's greatness is his mercy, his love to his people. Look at verse 1, Psalm 8. O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is thy name in all the earth. Thou hast set thy glory above the heavens. Now, did you notice how David begins this psalm? O Lord, our Lord. That tells me the Lord has a people. There's somebody who can call the God of heaven and earth our Lord. Now, how can a just a speck of dust like you and me call the God of heaven and earth our Lord? How can he be called our God? Well, for three reasons. Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Because the Father chose a people to save. That's what election is. The Father chose a people to save. And those people can call the Lord our Lord because he made them his when he chose them to be his. Number two, God the Son. He came in the flesh for this purpose to suffer and die for those people. And the blood of Christ bought those people, He redeemed them from their sin. He redeemed them and bought them back from the law and made them his. If Christ died for you, you have every right to call him my Lord because he bought you lock, stock, and barrel with his blood. And thirdly, because of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit comes to those people and gives them life. They hear the gospel of Christ preached and for some reason, unknown to them, they believe it. (laughs) They don't just hear doctrine. They don't just hear words. They hear of a person and they believe it. Now, you know why they do that? The Holy Spirit gave them life, gave them faith to believe Christ. Scripture says the Holy Spirit dwells in your heart so that you're the temple of God. But if the Holy Spirit dwells in you, you belong to him, don't you? If if he's in your heart, he's on the throne, I promise you that, then you're his. And it's just fine for you to call him my God. See, God thinks on me. And God's not like us. I can't tell you how many things I've thought about but haven't done. Just recently, I thought about going on a diet. I decided not to do it. I thought about doing some work, you know, around the house uh, yesterday. Jan, uh, we started uh, in January doing a little bit of spring cleaning. Well, I thought three or four things, you know. I, this would be good. i like to do it. Well, I did one of them. There are things I thought about, I didn't execute. When God thinks about his people, he doesn't just think about it. He does it. He redeems them and saves them from their sin. That's God's greatest glory. That he thought to visit men in mercy so he could save them by the sacrifice of his son. I'm like David. I'm amazed, aren't you? I'm amazed that God could think on the likes of us, but I sure am glad he did. I sure am glad. Amen let's bow together our father our tongues can express our thanksgiving we can't express our awe and amazement that you would humble yourself to think on the likes of us that you'd send your son to take our place to suffer and die the death that our sin deserves, that we deserve because of our sin, that you'd be pleased to reveal yourself to us by the preaching of your son, the preaching of your gospel. Father, how we thank you. And how I pray that you'd cause us to leave here this morning, that you'd be pleased to give us faith, that we could leave here this morning trusting in Christ our Savior and being Utterly amazed at your mercy and your grace, Father. How we thank you, Father. I ask you'd take this this message. It has been preached in the weakness of human tongue, and that you'd cause it to shine forth to the glory of your Son. Father, it's in Christ's name. It's for His sake and His glory we pray. Amen. All right, Sean.